Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you find your unique beauty. This week's guest is Serene Singh, who has a whole list of titles and projects she's working on, and we've got to talk about a lot of them. So I really just want to get started. I'm super excited to share this conversation with you. So without further ado, let's get started. As much as I am so invested in, you know, being a communicator and a storyteller, for me, I would say the most important traits and and aspects of what makes me me is first that I am uh, a teacher. I really identify myself as a teacher, not just in the sense of my actual job as a public speaking teacher for students across the United States, but also as someone who is constantly trying to give back and give what I've been given. Uh, I run a nonprofit called the Serenity Project Nonprofit for at-risk women across the United States. That means a number of different things, but most importantly, uh, these are women that come into the program feeling like they are not worthy of their dreams or maybe have gone through struggles that have enabled them to be survivors, but maybe they need that extra support and, you know, tools of self-love and and resilience that will help them kind of achieve that next platform in life. So those are the aspects where I identify myself really as a teacher. But then also, I think it's important to highlight how much being a student is a part of my life as well. I'm currently a student at the University of Oxford and I'm pursuing my doctoral degree in criminology, having just finished my master's degree in public policy. Thank God. Uh, So it is a crazy time to be a student in the world right now. I can sympathize with anyone who is feeling that type of confusion and frustration and kind of uncertainty of what the world is going to look like for us in the upcoming years, and especially for people who are moving on to the next degree in their life. It's stressful. it's, It's scary. But I sympathize with that. I empathize with that. That is exactly where I'm at as well. Um, And just a student of the world. I always like to say that, you know, as much as someone can have accolades and opportunities and awards behind them, there is never anyone in the world who really has anything figured out. And so I really think that I'm just a student. And that's how I show up in the world, too. I love that. And that was such a great introduction. So there's so much that I want to talk with you about, but I want to first start off with a huge congratulations on winning the National All-American Miss title. That is so huge. And I'm so excited to have you on the show. I really want to talk about your pageantry because it's such an interesting part of your story. And I just think it's something that I don't hear from activists a lot. So why did you start pageants and what have you learned from them? Maybe where have they taken you? I really just want to get the whole scoop because as I said, I think it's so unique. No, totally. It's a great question. I have been involved in pageantry since 2013. So it's been now almost eight years. And to look back and reflect on why I started and what my journey has been, it's actually pretty crazy because I started pageants because I had a bias towards them, um, actually against them. I I didn't see pageantry as something that women uh, would gain much from. I didn't understand why they existed. You know, like all of us who just 
have never had exposure to something, especially something like pageantry, we judge it maybe just from the very first thing that we see. So I remember growing up and, you know, we'd turn on the TV and just watch the final question answer segment of a pageant and just, and, and take it as that was what pageantry was about. So I never really found any real power in it, especially when I was growing up and just watching just the final element of the final show. Um, but it's so interesting because having been involved in the activity for all these years, I now know that the final element of the final show is so small compared to what pageantry really is. And having been through the Rhodes Scholarship interview, having been through the Truman interview, having been through so many different interviews and tests in my life that are really stressful, I can confidently say that the hardest thing is a pageant, especially a national pageant. And I say that not because to diminish anything else, um, any of the other opportunities I've been awarded in my life that I'm so grateful for, but rather it's because pageantry is not just one thing. It's not just, you know, you have the opportunity to, do, do you have one aspect of you? It's not just, can she speak well? It's not just, can she be a good leader? Does she have the opportunities available to her to be able to serve to serve in her community? Does she know how to use her voice effectively? Can she use her platform? Does she have a cause? Like there's so many different elements to it, but I really think it's so powerful because, you know, in my road scholarship interview, I had what, 15 minutes or so, 10 minutes or so to be able to tell them who I was. Then we had a cocktail party, we had a dinner. There were so many different times that I could show them aspects of who I am. But in a pageant setting, you get probably a total of one minute, maybe two minutes um, throughout, you know, the entire week where you have to make a first impression on around 40 judges who are seeing thousands of girls. And that is really powerful. Just knowing that you only have so much time to be able to communicate who you are, both verbally and non-verbally in a way that is meaningful and lasting amidst so much going on. That I think is really cool. And that is a skill set that I don't think I could have ever asked to find anywhere else in any area of my life. And in terms of what pageantry has given me, I think the most important thing is first, it has allowed me to challenge a really deep-seated bias I had. You know, we see so many competitions out there for women, competitions of, you know, modeling, competitions of public speaking, competitions of knowledge. Um, and, and there's a million that I can talk about, like America's Next Top Model. We can talk about, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Like there's so many different competitions out there. But it's really interesting because the minute we combine all of them and we say we're looking for a woman who is multidisciplined, a woman who has, um, you know, this vision for who she is and what she believes in and is passionate about telling young girls to be talented and multidisciplined and that you don't have to just be pretty or smart. You don't just have to be talented or charismatic. Like you can be so many different things that all of a sudden I had a bias towards when I was growing up. And I think that breaking that down is so powerful to me because I see it show up in all aspects of my life constantly. Like women are constantly faced this imposter syndrome of no, not me. I'm not good enough here. I'm, you know, someone else is better suited, but I think it's, it's pageantry that has really taught me how to dream and to see past that in a really meaningful way. And then I think the second most important thing is that although, you know, people call it a beauty pageant, I, I've never identified that I am a part of a beauty pageant. I don't think that that is in any sense of what my experience has been, because I believe all of us are beautiful, but I don't think that everyone believes that for themselves. And that is what I think is really powerful about pageantry, that I believe I've entered into a confidence pageant, an opportunity to really build on my unique beauty, both inner and outer, on who I am, what it is that I give to this world and how I show up. And if 
every single young girl and if every single woman and if every single person out there could just embrace themselves for who they are and that unique beauty that we all have within ourselves, I really think that this world would be different because everyone would be stepping in to who they are meant to be and fulfilling that to the greatest extent without any doubts, without any fears of who's going to say what, what are they going to think? Is it supposed to be me? Is it not supposed to be me? And without any reservations of what is meant to be for our paths. And I think that that is something that, you know, it's a lifelong lesson that I, I feel like I consistently have to learn in life, no matter what it is I'm pursuing or what it is I'm trying to do or be for myself. Um, but it is an important one that I really am passionate about, at least this year, giving back in as many ways as I can to young girls in my community. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. I love the idea of challenging your biases by doing pageants. I think that's that's great. So now I want you to tell me a little bit more about the Serenity Project, because it's definitely another very important part of your story. So tell me the story to create it and also what you're working on now, because it seems so great. Yeah, and I, I, lo I love that you, um, you are giving me that time to also talk about the Serenity Project, because it really is my heart. Uh, it's so important to me. And, and it's insane because when I look back to when I first started my nonprofit, which is the Serenity Project, I remember thinking also some of those similar thoughts that I just mentioned of, no, not me, someone else can do it better. Why, why should I be the one to step into this cause? And I think so many women and so many people in general, probably listening to this podcast as well, think about that for something in their lives. So I implore you to challenge that and to look past that because probably someone else could do it. Probably someone else has done it, but no one can do it the way that you can. And if it's something that is in your head and in your heart, like go for it full fledged, because there's a reason that you have been called to do that. I really do believe that. So for me, I started the Serenity Project actually many years after something um, really difficult happened in my life. In middle school, I lost a close friend to suicide. And I remember once I lost her, her name was Ashley. I constantly thought, wow, how did this happen? What did I miss? I, I don't know what happened. And, and I remember so many of our friends thought the same thing. So it wasn't necessarily any of our faults, but it was the idea that we didn't know what the warning signs were. We didn't know how to ask for help. We didn't know that there was help. We didn't know what we could do as fellow women, as fellow friends of hers, um, to be able to support her in overcoming the trouble and the traumas that she was going through. And that is where I started to kind of think about you know, there are really, there's a lack of resources and access to opportunities and reminders to celebrate for women who have been survivors. And especially in Colorado, which is where I was born and raised, uh, women, especially at-risk women, so women survivors, are one of the highest growing suicide groups in the state. And that was particularly concerning of why is our state not doing anything about this? And it was even more concerning that, you know, in my time in college, I spent a summer in Washington, D.C., working with survivors directly and on policies. And I remember, you know, whenever I'd enter any different, you know, congressional lobbying arena, I would be seeing so many individuals of high esteemed power speaking about the issues, but never having gone through them never having understood what it was like to be a survivor. And there was rarely ever any victim testimony. There was no survivors coming out and saying, I need this. I would like this. This is what would have helped me. And that concerned me as well, because I think that the people that need to be driving the change are the people that understand what changes need to be made. And 
that was kind of the real understanding and the basis of why the Serenity Project. It's broken up into three different components. The first of which is a is a fashion show. This year it's going to be virtual, obviously because of the pandemic, but usually it is in person. And the purpose of the fashion show is to just initially, right off the bat, remind these women that they are beautiful and that they're worthy. I think that yes, modeling and pageantry, I've seen it have so many negative effects on women, but I've also seen it change their lives in the best ways possible, like it has on mine. And that is something that I really want to implore these women to see, that they can achieve their dreams and that if they're getting taught by world-renowned modeling coaches and they're you know, surrounded by an audience that is just in awe of who they are and how they're shining on stage, that's a really powerful experience, especially knowing that so many of these women have never felt that way before. They've never seen themselves to be beautiful and that word is just scary to them. So I think for them to just automatically see that they were completely wrong about themselves in that sense, right from the beginning of the project is so important and so unique. Then after that, we have a skills-based curriculum that goes on for 12 months. And in the curriculum, we focus on so many different topics every single week, from meditation to self-love to um, philanthropy to starting your own projects through resume building, interview tips, public speaking, all kinds of different things that we think are just helpful tools as you navigate life in this world as a woman. And so those are what we also focus on throughout the year in that um, curriculum, which is what we call our soaring curriculum. And then finally, we have our third stage, which is a mentorship program. So as the women also go through the soaring curriculum, they are also each paired with a mentor. Mentors are women from across the United States, from all different backgrounds and walks of life. And these are just women who are passionate about giving back in whatever ways they can. They will support these women, the participants of the Serenity Project, in creating a passion project of some sort that is meaningful to especially the participant, but also the mentor. So for instance, in years prior, one of my favorite passion projects is one of the women we had in the Serenity Project in our very first year, a woman who was really interested in telling her story as a survivor um, and speaking about it, but she didn't really have the tools to know what it is she should say. How does she get public speaking gigs? How does she speak publicly without getting stressed out and scared? And so that was our focus on how do we build that kind of an opportunity for her so that she knows her story, that she's able to say her story with conviction. And then also she has audiences to say it in front of. And so that was kind of the passion project, that it is meaningful to her, that she's able to change lives with it, and that the Serenity Project now has expanded far beyond just our cohort of 10 participants and 10 mentors. Now we're reaching so many people beyond because these women are champions of their own of their own stories that's amazing thank you so much for sharing that project I'd also really like to talk which I'm sure you've talked plenty about it but I'd love to talk about the Rhodes Scholarship you're the first female Rhodes Scholar from CU which is so awesome so big congratulations for that too Um, you mentioned what you're studying but how is it to be at Oxford and to study there What are some of your favorite memories you've had so far there? I'm sure that it's just been amazing. Oh my gosh. You know, Oxford, Oxford is a dream come true and it sounds cliche, but I swear on my life, I would walk outside and I'd be like, I feel like I'm in a Harry Potter novel. It it just looked like it, it felt like it, every single aspect of what makes Oxford so brilliant is honestly not even in the classroom, it's outside of the classroom. And that's what I think is really powerful about that place, that some of the most intellectually stimulating, enriching conversations and experiences of my life happened 
outside of the classroom environment. But also, obviously, it is Oxford. It's a world-renowned university. And being, being surrounded by individuals who are doing so many important things in the world makes anyone feel like an imposter. And I think there's, there's obviously the whole negative aspect of why imposter syndrome is problematic and so hurtful. But in a weird way, Oxford helped me see that it actually can be really powerful in a sense that I am constantly trying to think about new innovative ways that I can do more, be more for others in my community. And that was cool because I didn't, I didn't have those kinds of stimulating opportunities and conversations in other aspects of my life. But when I was, you know, surrounded by someone who was, um, you know, for example, the very first, um, day of my courses, I remember I sat next to a beautiful woman in my course and she has a girls education school back in her home in Afghanistan. And she, you know, had to really overcome so many different trials and triumphs in order to be able to study as a girl amidst the Taliban, you know, under the Taliban. And that story itself and who she is and what she's doing to give back inspired me in more ways than I can ever articulate of I also have been given so many opportunities in my life. And what is it that I have been given that I can give? And I think Oxford has constantly put that in the back of my mind is what is it that I've been given that I can use to give back? So in terms of fun memories, it's not all serious. I promise Oxford is such a party town. I cannot even believe it. People are like, you went to CU Boulder. It's the number one party school in the United States. What do you mean Oxford's a party town? I mean, I don't know what it is, but I think the British lifestyle is just a whole nother dimension. There needs to be a different scale altogether because it is so much fun there. They always have these things called bops um, and they are just, they're just parties. I mean, they can go from very, very formal as you would see in like how people are dressed in Bridgerton to that style to very informal where you just kind of would just show up like a house party in the United States and constantly people are, are just trying to get to know one another. It's a lot of social life. It's a lot of let's go hang out here. Let's do this there. The nightlife is so rich, I think, because people really are invested in getting to know one another. And I think that's what makes Oxford so special that people don't just care about getting good grades or passing their exams. They really care about investing in one another. And that allows them to support one another for the rest of their lives. Uh, in terms of some of my best memories, I think um, one of my most favorite ones was getting to be at Rhodes House for the very first time. Yes, the Rhodes Scars have their own house in the at, at the University of Oxford. And it's just stunning. I mean, there's so much history there that's so important to understand what the scholarship means to so many different people from across the globe and also um, understand, you know, the future that the scholarship has and how it can change and how it can mold into something that is better for everyone. So I think that's really powerful to just be amidst that. Uh, what a cool opportunity. And I think another really fun one for me, obviously we have matriculation day and you'll get matriculated. You only get matriculated once in Oxford. And it's the strangest thing ever because it's not like you've done anything. It's just your first day of Oxford and you're already getting matriculated. You're already being official. So it's a little, it's, it's, it's definitely contrary to what we understand in the United States in terms of like a graduation being at the end and the culmination of your experience. Matriculation is right at the beginning. But it's really fun because that day everyone is all dressed up. Any tourists who are in Oxford are automatically like, oh, the kids always dress up like this, but we're not. We're not always dressed up like Harry Potter, um, but it's just that specific day. It, it is from, I think, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., everyone's getting ready, all the way until 2 a.m., 3 a.m. the next day. There's just parties, there's food, there's fiestas, there's all kinds of things happening, and that 
was just the best introduction to Oxford I could have had. That sounds so fun. Oh my gosh. The dressing up like Harry Potter. That's so funny. <laughs> I know. And they have this outfit. What is it called? Subfusk? S-U-B-F-U-S-C. And I remember when I first was told, they were like, do you need your subfusk out? I was like, I don't know what that is. And I had to do so much research online. I'm like, okay, I need this specific ribbon and I need a skirt and then I need this. It was just so fascinating to under because I've never had a school uniform before in my life so I had no idea what I was getting myself into I was like mom I need to buy all these different things but it's you know it's all part of the experience it's all part of the journey it's all part of being a part of Oxford (laughs) yes for sure I love that you've had such a great adventure so far so now I have kind of a cliche question but who do you consider to be your role model or maybe who do you turn to when you need a little inspiration or maybe some words of advice yeah, you know, there's a few answers to that. And I think it's because I do a lot, a lot of who I am is you know, like, I, I, I struggle often thinking of myself as one, one thing, like, I'm not just a pageant queen. I'm not just a road scholar. I'm not just a student. I'm not just a teacher. Like there's so many, I'm not just a dancer. There's so many things that I think define me. So I think in each of those different disciplines, it's important to have different people to look to because there are different people that allow me to continue when it gets tough. Um, especially people who I'm like, they've been through it, I can keep going. But in general, in my life and who I am and what I, what I, what I turn to when I'm struggling, I think there are three. The first of which would be my younger self. And I say that and it's a little strange for people to hear initially, but when I think about who I was when I was growing up younger and, you know, struggling with being different, being the only, you know, South Asian in my kindergarten class, being the only Sikh ever in all of my journey of primary school, even, you know, secondary school and also as high school, like I I remember how that felt. And I remember how I felt different and that I needed to feel like I blended in and that I was not different from my peers and how much it scared me. And I was ashamed of every part of me that was unique and and special because I never would have called it special. I would have called it bad. It would have kind of different um, burdens, you know, it was, and I think so many young people grow up feeling that way, whatever it might be, whether it be their gender identity, whether it be their religion, their, you know, economic status, like whatever it might be, there's something about every single kid that they feel is not good enough and not worthy and that they need to suppress in order to be worthy of their dreams. And so my inspiration is definitely looking back to what is it that Serene needed when she was eight, nine years old. And one of the things that people often ask me about is like, who was your like icon? Who was your role model when you started your pageantry and modeling journey? And I always say, I didn't have one. I didn't have any single person that I could look to and be like, they look like me. They've been through the experiences I've been through. They understand what it is like to be me in this world right now or in this country right now. And I want to, I want to be closer to who they are. Like I didn't have anyone like that for me. And that concerned me because every single young girl, every single young boy, every single anyone should have someone that they can say they've done it. And I know that I can too because of them. And I think that knowing that, you know, eight year old, nine year old, 10 year old Serene could never thought she would ever represent anything, anything like what I represent today that's really powerful. And I always think about what kind of a door can I open or, or even, you know, show was already open to other young people out there so that they can believe a little bit more in themselves. Especially when I think back of if I was to face eight-year-old Serene right now, like what would I say to her? What would I show her that I've been able to do with my life? And that's kind of the, the legacy that I want to leave. Constantly thinking about what I needed when I was that younger girl 
um, and what it is that younger girls right now might need, whether or not they're Sikh, whether or not they're South Asian, whether or not they've lived the lives that I, that I've lived. I think seeing someone so different, so drastically different than what we are expected to see, whether it be in the road scholarship community or in pageant community or in whatever community, that's really cool because that, uh, that enables every single person, no matter what their dreams are, to think a little bit differently about their dreams. I think the second person would be my mom. I know it's a cliche and everyone's like, Serene, don't say your mom for that answer. But really, like, my mom, I, she, she's raised all of us kids, um, both my brother as well as my sister, with the same amount of love, the same amount of determination, and the same amount of focus. And I think that's really important to say because right now so many girls are, are taught differently growing up than the boys are of like, you know, he can do this, but she needs to do this. And, and I think my mom did a really good job of empowering me from a very young age to believe that I could do anything, if not more than even my brother could. And more importantly, I think she also really instilled in me the notion of hard work, that you can't just get things in life because you dream big or because you want them. Like you have to put in the hours and you have to get to work and you have to have sleepless nights and you have to focus on what it is you want because nothing's going to be handed to you, Serene. And that I think is something that I've just carried with me throughout my entire life as well. And the third thing is that, you know, my mom has really always been someone to give whatever she has in life, whether, you know, we'd be driving and we'd be in the midst of a snowstorm and she'd still be giving food to homeless people. Like she's just constantly been the type of person that never believes that any, that there's anything different between her and the people she's serving. It's just circumstance. That is the only thing that, that differentiates the two. And that I think is, why I am so passionate about any opportunity that I have, any platform that I have, how can I use it to further along the journeys and experiences and lives of people who might not have had this opportunity. So that's, these, these are all just small little lessons that I think my mom has instilled in me, but they've made a huge difference on who I am and how I, how I show up. Um, and then the final one, I think this one's really interesting too, because a lot of people don't know about her, which is Lizzie Velasquez. And Lizzie, when she was growing up, she was she she stumbled upon a youtube video that defined her as the world's ugliest woman and she was not expecting to stumble upon this youtube video and it just devastated her it broke her heart and she instead of allowing that to just eat at her and take her in and believe that it was true she decided to become a motivational speaker and she now speaks to young girls and boys across the country about what it is that they need to do to set their own legacy and believe in their own worth and their power, regardless of what people in the world are telling them that they're not good enough at this, or they're not perfect at this, or they're not beautiful, or they're not this. I think she's done a really good job of not only just inspiring me to see that in myself, but also all young people to do that for themselves as well. And she's um, a huge reason that I think the Serenity Project is where it is today, because a lot of her story and a lot of who she is and how she overcame um, the different struggles that she's had to overcome in her life, especially from the start of that YouTube video, is exactly what we try to remind the women that we work with in the project to also focus on as they navigate the journeys that will continue to happen in their lives, but also the difficulties that will inevitably follow them as they are survivors, as they are women who've championed so many causes that are hard to talk about. And as they're women who have oftentimes, you know, been told by society, you're not enough, you're not worthy of this, you aren't special. Um, so I think those would be my three most important role models per se. <laughs> 
Definitely. That was such a great answer. And people think it's cliche, but I, I think the parents answer is such a great one. So I have one last question that I really like to ask my guests. And it's what advice do you most want to share with young people who may want to make a difference in the world, but they may not know where to start? Do you have any words of wisdom for them? Hmm. Well, there's there's a quote that I really live by, which is whether you think you can or you can't, you are 100% right. And I really believe that to be true. So for all the students who are, I mean, all the people out there who are thinking, you know, this, I want to create change. I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to get started. I really think that the most important thing in doing anything in life is your mindset. It's how you see it. It's how you perceive your ability to do it. And it's how you envision it of happening. So I would say when I've started any of my projects or when I have done any, anything in the world that, you know, like has, has meant something to me and has been meaningful in a special and unique way and that I'm still able to carry with me, it's because I sat down with myself and I was honest of like what it is that I think there's a gap in the world of and where it is that I have talents or I have passions and how can I help align those two. And oftentimes I think people think that when they want to create change, opportunities to create change will be handed to them or that it'll just show up in their life or that they'll just be able to volunteer for one day and it'll be satisfying enough for them. But oftentimes we see that, that that's not the case. And I think it's not the case because you have to do a little bit of deep diving and deep soul searching of what it is exactly that you want to create. And then also the most important thing of all of this is perseverance and committing because when I first started every single project that I've ever started, I promise you 99% of people thought it would fail. 99% of people expected it to fail. 99% of people wanted it to fail, right? That's just how our world works with any new ideas. But if you believe in your idea and you believe fully that this is something that will do good, whether it's for one person, for a hundred people, for the whole world, like whatever it might be, you have to be the number one person who's going to support your own cause. And if you do that, if you have your own back, and if you're constantly thinking about new ways you can serve the population you're looking to or, or benefit the cause that you're looking to promote, I guarantee it will be successful. It will be because it has no other choice to be. If you give it no other legroom to fail, no other opportunity to doubt yourself, no other opportunity to let the you know, words of other people and the negativity in the world around us infect that, like it will be successful. So I think trust in your gut a hundred percent, be honest with what it is that you care about and then also persevere at it. Those are the three most important things. Oh my gosh. I absolutely love talking with Serene and I think she's just so wise and so thoughtful about everything she's doing. I'm so glad that I got to talk with her and to share some of her story because she really is doing great work and she's inspiring so many people around the world. Serene is so confident about her projects and her activism because she truly believes in herself and she believes in what makes her unique and beautiful. It's so important to find and appreciate what makes you beautiful because change comes when you find your unique beauty. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can follow Serene on Instagram at serene.sing. You can also follow The Serenity Project at The Serenity Project Official on Instagram as well. 
If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.